This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hello and welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And I'm Sophie Robinson. And don't forget, you can sign up to be a member of The Great Indoors Insiders where you get to support the podcast, enjoy ad-free listening and get bonus content as well as first dibs on ticketed events. Just visit thegreatindoorspodcast.com for all the details. And first up, I just want to say thank you for all the messages we've had about the Jonathan Adler episode. It was such fun to make and it seems you lovely lot really enjoyed it as well. So thank you so much for listening. Oh, he's so great, isn't he? I loved all those so-called aggressive teacup clinkage by his husband in the background. It's very witty. It was brilliant, wasn't it? And talking of which, we'll be doing a spot of our own teacup clinkage, possibly less aggressively, possibly not. (laughs) We have planned a summer webinar for our insiders before we take a break during the summer. Yeah, that's right. If you've signed up to be a great indoors insider, then you can join us for a VIP free virtual drinks party. We're hosting it on the 20th of July at 7pm. If you are a member of The Insiders, you don't need to do anything because we'll be sending an email with a link to join and we'll just be hanging out and chatting all things interiors. We'll be on hand to answer your questions. So you know the drill. Sign up at thegreatindoorspodcast.com to receive an invitation. Yeah, I think this is a lovely idea. We just want to give a bit of love back to our insiders because they support the show and so we're here here to thank you for that and also I love a webinar I haven't done any for ages have you ever done a webinar Kate we did do one didn't we ages ago for the telegraph was that a webinar Oh, during lockdown lifestyle surgery action it was really good fun and actually not to encourage you all to chat about us behind our backs but we had the chat function on didn't we and that was lovely because people were sort of meeting each other and chatting on the keyboard notes on the side so it was it was a proper sense of a party actually because we were talking people were talking amongst each other it was it was lovely I'm really looking forward to it well I think as well obviously everybody over on the Facebook page are super chatty and I think some lovely friendships have been harnessed on there and this is just an opportunity for us to scrum in yes we want to be friends uh... as well (laughs) (laughs) and sort of like yeah take the uh, take the Facebook group to the next level and have our own little VIP webinar. Oh, I can't wait. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to meet you all. I'm calling it a virtual drinks party. Obviously, this is, you really do have to bring your own booze in this situation. (laughs) Bring your own drink, whatever it might be, an aggressive teacup clink or something a little stronger. And we will see you in cyberspace. We'll see you there, 20th of July, 7pm. So you know the drill, sign up at thegreatindoorspodcast.com to receive your invitation. Now, on with the show and we have a packed style surgery for you this month. To kick things off, we have a question from Jen in Boston, Massachusetts, who wants to know more about colour drenching. Hi Sophie and Kate, my name is Jen, I'm calling from the US, specifically in Boston, Massachusetts. We're having the interior of our house painted And in our living room, we decided on Faro and Ball setting plaster, and we're going to color drench, which I'm really excited about. I'm wondering if 
we should use a different sheen on the ceiling and the trim than what we're doing on the walls. I would love some advice about that. And if perhaps the ceiling should be done at a different saturation amount than the walls. Also, any other tips you have for things I should be thinking about to tell the painters? They're coming, we're leaving with our two small kids for three weeks while they do the entire interior, and I'm a little nervous about not being able to stop by and check it out. So any tips you have for things I should be talking with the painters about beforehand would be great. I love your podcast. I look forward to it every week. Uh, thank you so much. So, Jen, how exciting to have you dialing in all the way from Boston, Massachusetts. I feel there's a song in there somewhere. Is that a BG song? Anyhow, that's a trivia quiz for, for the end of the show. Um, Colour drenching. We spoke about this a few weeks ago. Obviously, there was a slight difference of opinion. The, the basic concept of colour drenching is that you are using the same colour all over from the woodwork, the doors, the window frames, the walls and the ceiling, hence the drench. Our difference of opinion came in, Sophie says it has to be a dark, bold colour. I say it's the same principle, but it can be in a paler colour if you want. What we didn't get into and what Jen has picked up on is the finish of that paint. So she wants to know if you should do it, for example, all matte or all eggshell or whether you should mix the sheens within the colour. And I'm now feeling like I'm on a very popular Radio 4 show called Just a Minute, <laughs> where you have to talk for a minute about something without hesitation, repetition or deviation. And the reason I am talking like this quite slowly is because I feel that at any second, Sophie is going to jump in and interrupt me <laughs> and I won't get to the end of my sentence. So I am talking like this. I do wish they'd asked me to be a member of the show. It's my favourite. <laughs> Anyhow, colour dredging. You're allowed to repeat the title. I would be very tempted, actually, Jen, to do the walls in the matte colour or the slight sheen if you need something that's more wipeable and have a little bit more of a shine on the woodwork. It will look different depending on the different light. I'm also actually a big fan of using eggshell on a ceiling because it just bounces the light around and reflects the light in and that can be a really nice effect although you do need a smooth ceiling because it will show up every lump and bump otherwise. And just again before I'm interrupted <laughs> on the saturation, Farrenball setting plaster is a beautiful colour. It's quite difficult with Farrow and Ball to vary the saturation because you can end up with a different colour and I think just adding white to it becomes very complicated because if and when you want to do a touch-up, it's so hard to get it exactly the same and matching. I have done in my sitting room, actually, a paint and paper library colour called Powder. And what paint and paper library do, and I don't know if you can get it in Boston, Massachusetts, is they do colours one to five. So I've got colour two or three on my walls and I've done a four on the ceiling and woodwork. So it's exactly the same colour, but that varies the saturation. You can do that if you want. It's a different effect. It's entirely up to you. Sophie. I made a minute there. I definitely made a minute there. <laughs> I've almost finished my cup of coffee. That was really interesting. Thank you for that. I obviously agree with everything that my esteemed co-host had to say there. Record that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think when 
when you when it comes down to sheen as well it's sometimes good to think about the architecture in your home so for example wherever you paint something in a gloss or an eggshell you get a highlight it's sort of the paint creates a highlight when the when the sunlight or the artificial light bounces off it so for example i've painted woodwork in a matte finish and a matte wall and there are some paints that are really useful for this i'm not sure Farron Ball do one i know little green does one they call it an intelligent emulsion which means it's durable enough to go on radiators and woodwork as well so you can literally use the same paint all the way round. I think Farrow and Ball have just released one called Dead Flat. Have they done one now? Like an all-surface paint that can go on I everything. So. so you don't even have to go to the trouble of buying different products for different surfaces. So that's very, very useful if you're uh, colour drenching. So anyway, a matte paint finish will not pick up on the light. And that's sometimes good if you don't have great architectural details. For example, in modern houses, if you've just got skirting boards, for example, that don't have much detail on them or yeah you just want to mat it all out it also gives the house perhaps a more rustic look going for the full the full fat mat as it were so those are just some other things that I might consider whereas Kate said using an eggshell will give it a bit of glimmer and will bounce the light around so you've just got to be a bit intentional I think do you want to uh, reflect the light or do you want your paint to sort of absorb the light and create this matter vibe because they are quite different effects. And they will also change the colour. I think um, doing an eggshell or a gloss can sometimes make the paint look brighter and lighter. And a matte finish sort of like drenches the colour and makes it look even darker. So just... <laughs> it is more saturated, Sorry isn't it? about this, Jen. I've got a feeling you want us to make your life easier. And I feel like I'm overcomplicating it, potentially. I think if you're using Fire and Ball, their new paint is dead flat. And it is a multi-surface matte paint. So you can put it on wood radiators. Because do not forget, if you are colour drenching, you need to paint the radiators oh well, as well. If Goes. you have them, we do not want shiny white radiators in the middle of this beautiful colour drenching. So, which leads me on to your next question leaving the painters alone and how do you do that now I think on the on the one hand you've made your and their life easier because if it's all the same color and all the same paint you can just give them a brush and walk away because it's not complicated but for other people who might be leaving their painters to get on with the job or who aren't living on site it just comes down to being really clear what goes where if necessary leaving post-it notes different colored post-it notes on different bits or making a list the skirting boards in this color the ceiling in that color you have to be really on it particularly if you're not going for that traditional coloured walls, white woodwork, because as soon as you start interfering and you want a colour on the ceiling or a colour on your woodwork that isn't white, I don't mean interfering, but, you know, changing the tradition, that's where you can get into trouble. So it's all about really clear instructions. And, you know, don't be afraid to say it more than once. And also, don't be afraid from the pushback. I hear all the time from people who say to their builders, oh, I want you to paint my ceiling pink. And the builder's like, really? I don't think you want to do that. You know, you've made your decision, stick with it and leave those clear instructions. An actual final final point from a rookie uh, what am I, a rookie? Well, I'm a rookie wall knocker downer, maybe. I left a note written on Sharpie. This wall is being knocked down. And you can, it's really difficult to paint over Sharpie. Just write on the walls in pencil. Um, so if necessary, write on the wall in pencil. This bit pink, this bit matte. 
this bit dark pink. You know, you can do that as well, but but don't use a Sharpie or a Byron. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually taken the photograph of the room before and put it on a document and then annotated it really clearly. That's clever. Well, it's also then, it's a document that you can give to them and it's also evidence that if they ever... Yeah, yes, it's evidence. It's That's evidence. And I have needed evidence with uh, painters and decorators and builders in the past. Where I said, I gave you this document, which clearly annotates which colour is going where, where the wallpaper's going there, which way up the wallpaper's going, what I expect it to look like at the end. And, you know, you could even masking tape that to the wall and say, if in doubt, look at that. And it's a visual thing because not all trades are really great with lists. Some love a list. Some trades are more visual and they just want to see it. So, um, yeah, I mean, as uh, as Kate said, don't ever assume that people know what you're talking about. That's the key point. Never assume. Um, talking of wallpaper, my builder once said he was called in to uh, put a house right where the wallpaper had not really known about wallpaper and it had been a pattern apparently with lots of flowers and birds on and he hung it upside down and basically all the birds were on their backs with their legs in the air. (laughs) It looked like dead birds. And he'd had to go in and strip it down and rehang the whole thing. And obviously, you know... That costs builders money and that makes them cross, If even if it is their mistake. So just, you know, you're not having wallpaper, but you cannot over-explain is my experience when it comes to decoration. So I hope that helps, Jen, and good luck with your lovely plaster pink colour drenching. Now, here's an interesting question from Rachel, and I feel sure that many of us will relate to it. In short, do you create the dream kitchen in the make-do space or make-do with what you have until you have created the dream space? So here she says, oh, to have your podcast be a daily affair. How dreamy would that be? Sophie's just keeled over at the thought. Anyhow, I wonder if you could share your opinions, plural, as I'm sure there'll be two. Do you think? We may be building on our paddock in a year or two. We are currently in a 400-year-old, heavily beamed, low-ceilinged cottage. And if we do build, we're planning a vaulted ceiling with light and airy open plan Crittle bifold affair, single story, dare I say the word, bungalow. We haven't actually got planning permission yet, but as I'm sure you girls and many listeners can relate, I've already got a bulging file, detailed Pinterest boards, and I know exactly what I'm doing in there from the flooring to the fixtures. I hear you, Rachel. So the question is, should I save my dream, dream kitchen colour scheme for the new build if it happens, Or do I do it now in my current kitchen, which needs a refresh? I can't decide whether life's too short to wait for an opportunity that might not happen. And so I should just do it now or whether I should find the patience from somewhere and wait it out. Tricky one, Sophie. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't in a dissimilar situation, Rachel, when we moved here and we inherited a really rubbishy kitchen And I did a version of a budget makeover on it, knowing that at some point we were going to do our extension. And I knew that was going to be, you know, a few years in the offing. So, for example, we bought the cheapest carcasses we could from Howden's, made our own door fronts, used reclaimed worktops. And then I added a lot of pizzazz with with a wallpaper. And so we had that kitchen for about five years. And now I have just put in my dream kitchen, which was going to be in the extension, which actually, Rachel, did never happen. (laughs) As any regular listener, 
business will yes, know. Yes, there's a salutary tale. It didn't ever happen. And um, we ended up putting our kitchen into our living room and moving our living room into the old kitchen space. Been well documented on here what we've done. So yeah, word of caution, Rachel, the, the, the plans don't always come together. What I would say is... You can do a pre-app and it might be worth talking or getting some advice from a planning officer. You can get um, freelance advice. Maybe quite often people who used to work in the council have now gone freelance to come and give you advice on whether your planning permission is likely. And that might give you a bit more confidence that you will do your extension at some point and therefore you might not splurge out on the existing kitchen right now and save your pennies for the big for the big extension so I feel like that's an inquiry that's worth having now and if he if they say that extending on your particular property due to the age of it or whatever is unlikely then you know you can go full steam with your dream kitchen in the existing building I think there's also other ways around it. I mean, if you're going to buy your kitchen units from anywhere that that's not a one-off, for example, like IKEA or Howden's or any or pretty much any kitchen. I mean, I suppose I'm saying if you're going to buy some fairly standard carcasses and doors that will be continued, you know, you can buy what you need for the current kitchen and then if and when you move into the other kitchen, you can you can reuse them and add to them so that you're buying almost half a kitchen again I'm assuming the new one would be bigger but you could add to those units and if you've got wooden doors then you can change the colour scheme and it would all look the same so there's sort of there's ways of doing it like that and also you know you can you can try out the colours I mean the the danger I suppose of using your dream dream colour scheme now is that that you might not want to do that you might not want to repeat in a new building or a new kitchen but you know you'll have other dream color schemes and in the meantime you'll have lived with something you like or almost it's a prototype we built in the last house in the bedroom I built this false wall with a wardrobe behind it which anyone who who reads the blog will have seen and actually when we moved into this house, the house was much smaller, but the bedroom was pretty much the same size. And I did exactly the same thing. And the reason I did it was because it worked really well for the way we live and the best storage. But I tweaked the design. So instead of just having one rail with a chest of drawers underneath it and no shelving, I've put shelving down the side now with baskets. I've got two rails, so there's more storage in there. So it was almost like the first go was a sort of prototype. And then the second one, I got it absolutely right. So you can kind of look at it as a a dry run if you want. I mean, I think in short, my answer would be, as Sophie's discovered, best laid plans don't always come off. And, and life's too short to keep thinking one day, you know, I will do this. If you're going to, to redo your current kitchen now, then I would sort of go for it and make it as much your dream in terms of colours as you can. Yeah, I think that sounds very wise and sensible, Kate. Now, I'm sure you listeners will have thoughts on this one too. So do head over to the Great Indoors podcast group over on Facebook and join in the chat there. Now, next up, we have Andrew, who's bought a fabulous property and is now a bit too scared to get started. We've just moved into a 17th century schoolhouse in the countryside and admittedly slightly mad purchase, but we fell in love with the double height ceilings of the original school room. Our last home was a Victorian terrace in London, so this new space is proving tricky and we're not sure how to decorate it. All of our previous furniture looks a bit small in this massive space. Also, a previous owner has put in a 1960s staircase, the kind where there are huge gaps between the steps. 
It breaks up the room into two levels, which is handy, as one level is our sitting room and the other is the dining area. However, the stairs look very orange and out of place. Should we embrace it or paint it out to blend in with the walls? And what are your opinions on black beams? I find them quite dominant and was thinking of stripping them back. Our taste is normally maximalist, but I'm a bit scared to commit to anything when the walls are eight metres high and the room seems to swallow up everything that we put in it. Yeah. When we were doing Dream Home Makeovers for Channel 5, we did a school room. In fact, Andrew, dig it out on My 5. You could go back and have a look at that episode. It was the first episode of the series. So similar similar story. It was, I think that was almost eight metres tall because getting curtains made for it was... (gasps) You'd have to get a new mortgage. (laughs) it is i mean these rooms are splendid and amazing but you do need a truck of cash and ingenuity to turn them into a maximist space what we did with their space and they didn't have a truckload of money actually because they'd already proportioned a a load of their savings off for a new kitchen so i got the scraps (laughs) (laughs) but what we found was that in order to stop it feeling too big and vacuous we actually painted the whole room ceiling too in a kind of off black color color drenched yeah we color drenched it in black exactly and it looked absolutely amazing it looked really dramatic again you've got to think about how you use the space andrew for these people they wanted a uh, a sort of snooker table games room tv room so it really worked for for that particular purpose and look going really really dark but i would say you know going strong on color yeah absolutely paint that orange 1960s pine staircase out 100 percent, you can do that again color drench it to blend in could be fun as long as you can find it <laughs> go upstairs that is I wonder if you could do you you say and we haven't got pictures but the staircase which breaks the room into two levels one is the sitting room and one is the dining I wonder if you could do a sort of tonal colour drench where perhaps you go darker in the sitting room which I'm guessing is the the bottom bit the ground floor as such where perhaps that might be a room you use more in the evening then you could take dark stairs up and do the dining room which clearly is still part of the same space because it's all one big room in a slightly lighter color so that you're sort of going from the dark up to the lighter space so again pick a color where you can go from dark to light and that might you know it will make it all cohesive but it will just sort of change the light and link it with the staircase unless you do the staircase which might look amazing in a totally contrasting color so you could have dark green sitting room area, paler green dining room with the ceiling and then an orange staircase or a pink staircase. Mm, yeah, pick it up. I think you've got to use the colours there as as your advantage. The other thing that needs looking at is the beams you mentioned. It's got black beams, which I agree with you, probably do look really dominant. Um, you're thinking of stripping them back. You could have a go at that. That could be very costly and messy. So just putting it out there, but do your research. Or, of course, you could paint them in with this scheme. And if you go for this colour drenching idea that Kate and I are talking about, then you could just paint them in or paint them in a um, tonal colour as part of your colour scheme. So that they, you can pick them out if they're interesting, but just don't have them as a high contrast. At the moment, if, it, if the walls are white and they're black, then that's really high contrast. Do something more tonal with them would work, I think. 
nicely. So on with the furniture, the scale of the furniture. Over to you, Kate. It's tricky, that one, isn't it? Yeah. You know, we, we've those of us who live in Victorian terraces, you know, we've spent years looking for narrow sofas and accent armchairs <laughs> and console tables to fit into these narrow rooms. Of course, you transport that into a massive old classroom and it's going to disappear. Now, I mean... We don't know what your budget is, whether you, you know, you're going to buy a couple of really big sofas and then everything else might fit in it. Uh, You might have to zone it. If there's no money for new furniture, maybe you have, make your sitting area, perhaps get a big rug if you can, so you can group the furniture on the rug and create a sitting area. You can then perhaps have another area where there's a couple of armchairs and a table, which is a reading area, or perhaps you have a desk area. I mean, I think you kind of want to look perhaps to sort of, hotel foyers or big hotel rooms where obviously they're creating different zones for lots of different guests but you need to think perhaps about the different activities you might be doing in that space from watching telly reading chatting playing chess whatever it is you like to do and create zones like that because what you absolutely don't want is to just buy two massive sofas and stick them in the room and have them floating in the middle of of nowhere so it's not just about having bigger furniture it's about arranging the space for how you use it yeah and don't be afraid to make some really big statements in there a couple of oversized things an oversized pendant light a giant palm tree floor lamp enormous huge persian rugs maybe overlapping yeah you've got it you've got to um if you can't upscale everything upscale a few things so that they really hold the space i'm excited for you i think it sounds like it's going to be gorgeous andrew just it might take you a while to collect all the bits and bobs you need i think you're going to be going to lots of reclamation yards and antique fairs and uh sourcing some interesting pieces for this space I think that's that's a good point as well. A lot of the stuff you do want, I think, salvage yards or try and find out where you live, places where they perhaps are stripping out old hotels and and old warehouses or something, because that that furniture is on a bigger scale. We've spoken before a lot about small rooms and, you know, we we talk about, you know, the period armchairs are often much smaller because people were smaller. So, you know, what might have been an armchair for the Victorians might now in a bigger modern bedroom become an accent chair or a bedroom chair. That stuff is going to be too small for you. You need to be looking at sort of hotel clearance and shop clearance and warehouse clearance because the dresses, the cupboards, the furniture will all be a bit bigger and you're quite unusual in that you you might be looking for big furniture and you might I don't know I haven't looked at it recently but you might find you get better prices for that because a lot of people haven't got the space for the big stuff and it's the small stuff which everybody's scrabbling for I hope that's helped you Andrew now next up we hear from Gemma I'm seeking advice on setting up a play corner in my living room for my soon-to-be one-year-old. I'm thinking about defining the area with colour blocking to create a personalised space for her, whilst making it fit in with the existing Inchira Blue by Farrow and Ball. Do you have suggestions for complementary colours and tips? I would appreciate any ideas or advice you may have for this play corner or anything else you want to offer. Thanks in advance and thanks for keeping me company on my dog walks. I love the podcast. So Sophie, creating a play corner in your sitting room. So you want it to, it needs to kind of disappear in the evening, doesn't it? When she's in bed, but you also, you know, want it to be a a specific area for her. 
I think it's a really nice idea, Gemma, to uh, incorporate your colour scheme for your play corner with the with the main room. It's always really hard, isn't it, when you've got little ones? I mean, oh, not even one year's old yet. That's so super cute. So you probably haven't got gone to the full toddler explosion of plastic toys yet. It's probably more of just a play mat and a few lovely cuddly toys. So you're uh, you're dipping your toe in gently. But yeah, I 100% from an interior design point of view would be thinking at this stage of making sure that anything you bring into your living space is is sympathetic to this color scheme. And I love the Enkira blue. That's a really Enkira blue by Fire and Ball is a very dark, smoky, stormy blue color but it also goes really beautifully with some more pretty colors it looks beautiful with pinks it loves a pale pink yeah loves a pale pink bit of plaster pink could be really nice you could also get a brighter you talk about uh, vado which is a a brighter teal that farron ball do so yeah you could bring in some brighter tealy colors to sort of pep it up a bit and wooden tones as well which i've sort of touched on and natural sheep skins and all those other lovely natural textures that babies love would also work really really well I'm going to sound a slight note of caution here Gemma and that is you know as Sophie points out she's about to be one it's very much a mat on the floor I would say that as you know over the next year the toys are going to get bigger and she's not necessarily going to just play or lie in that beautiful corner you've (laughs) created for her so my suggestion would be let her play wherever in the room and get into storage in that corner for the toys. So whether it's almost more about having really good cupboards built in that corner, which perhaps you could paint to match the wall so that at night when the doors are closed, they will sort of disappear and you're not looking at that sea of plastic. And then maybe there's just a sort of rug in the middle of the room where she's going to play. Because I think the one thing we know about toddlers is that they 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 really fight against being contained in a space. But you can contain the toys. So... I would go for coordinating storage in that corner and maybe see how things develop over the next year or so when she starts really moving slash running around. Now we've received a great question from a listener in Norway. Hi, Kate and Sophie. Here comes a challenge from Bergen in Norway, where it's raining a lot and in winter it's most of the time very dark. We are moving into a house and our daughter's going to have a room that's where the only window is uh, north-facing. And we would like this room to be still kind of light and bright, but also warm. So I'm struggling a bit with choosing a colour for the walls. Since I feel like as soon as the colour is too light, very quickly it might kind of take up the cold northern light coming in, like the blue when everything looks like greenish blue. And then maybe have some other tricks and tips that you could do with a small room wanting it to be light but also kind of bouncing the lights off so we haven't painted yet and the electrician hasn't been in yet so we can basically design everything with lights and there's um, a lot of freedom and space for creativity and i would be curious to see what you would suggest well the first thing that springs to mind is circling back to the beginning of the podcast kate and your idea to paint ceilings in a high gloss finish is a great tip you know irrelevant of the color at this point um what i'm hearing is it's all about bouncing that light and and anyone who's got a north facing room especially if it's quite a small one with small windows (laughs) i've got one my old kitchen 
knows that, oh, it's really hard to get the light to bounce around because north-facing light, yes, it's cool. It's got a bit, a bit of blue in it, but it's also a very flat light. It's very steady, isn't it, throughout the day? So you won't find that your colours change. I think if you have, I've got a south-facing room and, you know, the colour on the wall at six o'clock in the morning is quite different from the colour on the wall at six o'clock in the evening when the sun's streaming in. So on the one hand, once you've found the right colour, that will be the colour. And I mean, it, it won't change. Yeah. Well, that's apparently why artists always love North Light, don't they, for their art studios? Oh, interesting. Because it's, it's steady. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Steady, constant light. So that's something perhaps to think about. You know, I, I sort of like to embrace the darkness, but we're not doing that here. You want a, to enhance the feeling of light. And you already understand that the light is tinged with a coolness and colours can go bluer and greener. So it's about finding a colour that has a little bit of warmth in the background to counteract that, I would say. And north facing rooms can really take colour. It doesn't always have to be an off-white. You can really, you can have blues and greens, but they tend to be more um, like O'Donnell blues work really nicely. Turquoise blues work really nicely rather than anything with too much grey in it. Yeah, look to warmer colours. You want to look for the things with a red base or a yellow base so that when they're hit with that cool blue light, they're still warm, as Sophie says, because if you pick a cool colour, it will then become very cold. And so, for example, if you pick a, a cool grey, that is going to make that room look stark. And obviously you said, I think, am I right? It was a daughter's room. So you want to have a bit more colour and fun in there. So you can do the ceiling in an eggshell. You can have fun and do the ceiling in kind of circus top stripes or something, (laughs) depending on who's doing it. You know, really have fun with the ceiling there. So I can imagine a sort of big, wide striped ceiling, or if you're clever, stripes coming into the middle where there's a big pendant light coming down. Maybe hang a disco ball in the middle of the ceiling and that will catch the light from the window and bounce it round the room. You know, the obvious one is a mirror can you hang a mirror where the window will shine onto it and bounce the light back in and then as you say the electrics are all up for grabs so you need to see perhaps where the shadows are in the room or make sure that you've got a lamp by the bed or maybe you can move the pendant light the big light from the center of the room and have it in the corner hanging down over there, a desk if she's old enough to have a desk or a, or a work table or a crafting table or something. So, you know, you, you can start from a completely blank canvas here, figure out where the bed's going to go, how she's going to use the space and light those particular areas and then use, as Sophie says, gloss paint on the ceiling, hang mirrors to catch the light and bounce them around, use a warm colour palette and... And don't feel, we've talked a lot about colour drenching in this episode, but this is a child's room. Don't feel that you have to do the same colours all over. You know, you can have more fun with it using complementary colours or stripes or painting. This is good in kids' rooms, actually, painting the bottom half of the wall in a dark colour and then a lighter colour for the top half and over the ceiling because then that dark colour won't show the fingerprints and the scuffs and the smudges quite so much and it gives it a bit of personality, but it's not going to make the room too dark. So that's another good way of of using strong colour in a smaller space. The other thing to think about, of course, is pattern. 
where you've got this sort of very steady flat light, this is where I think pattern can really come into play. And it could be something really quite graphic, of course, that would be my preference. I like quite bold and graphic wallpapers. Do you? I do, I do like a bold graphic <laughs> wallpaper. Bringing out my own collection, don't you know? There's like 25 no. of them that you can choose from, Kate. No, but I think even some of the really subtle pretty patterns could be really nice. And there, there is a real trend at the moment for these very delicate small scale patterned wallpapers actually that could add a little they could just dance around the room and help give a bit of interest and still have quite a light pale background behind them so you're still getting that feeling of light but they're bringing in a bit of interest a bit of texture as I say a bit of movement because that's the thing is north facing rooms can just look a bit meh so you have to kind of like bring it yeah you have to bring it you have to bring it (laughs) and then of course as well as pattern also textures as well could really help in here even just putting some wall paneling to bring a bit of texture to flat walls can create a bit more interest so bring textures like yeah paneling or lovely fabrics of course and furnishings and then finally you say your electrician hasn't been in yet so of course you're going to want to do a lighting plan as well and I think again when you've got a room that can look quite dark and dull throughout the day having uh, not just having one single pendant light flushing the whole room in a flat light uh, it's good to avoid that and instead have wall lights and lamps and plenty of different light sources around the room to create little pockets of light because you're not getting that lovely sunlight beaming through and creating shadows and shapes across the room so you've got to create your own light and shade throughout the space with your your lamps and wall lights i think that's rinsed us of all our north facing room t- <laughs> anything else to add oh well uh, uh no um so <laughs> now it is our final question and we have to get this one in because we're having a very international show today actually this is from eleanor in germany and it's urgent and i think this is probably one for sophie to finish on so eleanor she says i need your help urgently we have six floor to ceiling windows in our kitchen dining room the view is fantastic but it gets unbearably hot in the summer kind of like Sophie's conservatory. We have approached a local curtain studio and honeycomb blinds were recommended to us there, but I just can't get my head around the look. What other options are there? P.S. Thank you for the podcast. I love it. I've been listening to it for years. Oh, yes. Well, Sophie, I think this this is clearly one for you. I'm just going to sit back and drink my tea. Uh, But what are the honeycomb blinds? Is that a bit office? Yeah, they are the sort of number one thing that get recommended. And they're like, a, it's almost like a paper that kind of creates a sort of like, what are those instruments? Are they called concertinas? They might be. I had no idea what you're talking about. Yes, the concertina. It's a, it is a concertina and you hold, you have like little straps in your hand. And, and you push it in and out. And you push yeah. it in and out. So imagine that. That's what honeycomb blind looks like, that bit in the middle. And they are clever because those little pockets in the concertina are like um, little air pockets that help insulate against the room getting too hot and getting too cold so that's why they're quite popular but they have a particular look and I'm not a fan Eleanor and it sounds like you aren't either which is really annoying because they work but they look weird especially in a period house they just look office don't they They do they do they're not attractive sorry uh everybody and we had them in our conservatory and I took them down and then had to suffer the consequences of it being really hot (laughs) (laughs) so what did I do okay 
first of all, the number one game changer was having solar screen fitted to the glass. Can you hear the guinea pig? He's pepped up. He's squeaky. I haven't fed him yet this morning. That's why. <laughs> Can you hear him in the background? Whee, 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 whee. Yeah. Right. So solar screen is a film. You get a company in to fit it and it's like a vinyl and they spray loads of stuff on it. And then they kind of like, it just like sticks to the glass. And once it's stuck and then they've kind of like use their squeegee and got all the liquid and the air bubbles out. You can't even tell it's there. But it's almost like giving your windows, like, you know, like sunglasses shade your eyes from the bright light. It kind of does that. It's like sunglasses for windows. So you can still see out. Really clever. You can still see out. Um, It has a slight mirrored finish. So from the outside, your mirrors will look a bit mirrored. So I only put it on the ceiling of my conservatory however I do remember talking to him and he said oh no we have another product that you can put on your vertical windows which isn't mirrored and they use this in shops so you imagine shops have really big huge glass windows and not only do they get too hot but they fade the clothes or the furnishings or the window displays so it's another thing if you've got big windows and you worry about your sofas or your curtains fading you can put this solar screen that's key because she i think she said it's vertical windows isn't it it's not about yeah, the so ceiling vertical so, windows. so if that. you don't want that slight mirrored look from the exterior from your garden looking in then you could explore this other window film which isn't mirrored but it cuts down the glare so it also means when you're inside the house it's more comfortable to look out you don't have the sun pouring in on your eyeballs um, and it stops the room getting so hot and it's I think they say it cuts down 85% of glare like the stats are quite big like it makes a massive difference and does it work in the winter no so it's not insulating it's just light reflecting it's going to save this particular problem that Eleanor's got of it getting too hot so it's going to stop the room getting too hot it's going to stop any glare and it's going to stop your fabrics from fading so it's really worth checking out and then the beauty is of course you can use regular soft furnishings then at your windows curtains blinds all the rest of it I've got uh, Roman blinds on the vertical windows in my conservatory and then we've used sails in the roof because because it's a south-facing conservatory my god we're just being hit from all angles it just gets really really roasting in there and also it's just too bright I'm sorry but I don't want to sit in a bright glass box on a sunny summer's day when the sun's like overhead so we did sails to also further shade the space and they look really really pretty I, they do look lovely I think for Eleanor if she hasn't got that sailcloth ceiling you could just have beautiful linen curtains almost as kind of dress curtains so you've got the film which is basically invisible but cuts down the glare and then linen curtains just to soften the look and look pretty and when the windows are open they will they will waft about in the breeze and look lovely it's used a lot in hotels pools um, shops so it's quite a commercial product but the company I just googled it and found a, a local company and they uh, they fit it to people's homes a lot too perfect there we go Eleanor do let us know if that's worked and what you went for in the end well that's all we've got time for this week do keep your star dilemmas coming in and don't forget if you sign up to the insiders club you can come and hang out with us at our virtual summer party webinar on the 20th july bring your own drink and we'll bring the chat thank you so much to our producer sarah cudden of feast collective and thank you so much to all of you for listening and we'll see you in the great indoors